It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now, we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Welcome to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. Here's Dan Rusinowski. Welcome to Episode 5 of the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. Our tale today is one of the thrill of victory along with the agony of defeat. Three Game 7s, making the Stanley Cup Playoffs Round 1 the best Round 1 in all of professional sports. And it's not just this year, folks. It's every single year. All sorts of drama all the way through, but here's how it all plays out. The Florida Panthers upset the Boston Bruins, and they will play the Toronto Maple Leafs in round number two. The other round two matchups are as follows. In the Eastern Conference, New Jersey, after their win against the Rangers, play Carolina. Seattle in the West, after beating the Stanley Cup champions, will take on Dallas. Edmonton plays against the Vegas Golden Knights, and that sets things up for an outstanding second round in the postseason. But let's take a look back at those thrills of victory and agonies of defeat in game number seven. We begin with the Boston Bruins, who had the single greatest season in National Hockey League history, but fall to the Florida Panthers in game seven. It was an overtime. It was a goal by Carter Verhage. Here's Doug Plagans on Florida Radio. Back behind the net, Matthew Kachuk gets there first, and he's upended back behind the goal. Loose puck behind the net, loose at the side of the net, jamming away is Kachuk with Bennett along the near boards. Bennett finds it to the circle. Verhage shot, top shelf, he scores! Carter Verhage, top shelf, and the Panthers win it in overtime! The Panthers stun the Bruins in Boston, and the Panthers are moving on to round two! Carter Verhage, the Panthers have won it in overtime! 4-3 the final! The Panthers take game seven, and they're moving on! Meanwhile, on Bruins Radio, Judd Surratt was calling the action. Back of the net, Kachuk spun around. They joust for it back of the Bruins net. Carlo trying to find it, can't. Right circle, Verhage shoots, he scores! Carter Verhage in the right circle, able to sneak it inside the near post. The Florida Panthers victorious in overtime, 4-3 over the Boston Bruins. And they will move on to the second round. And for the Boston Bruins, after a record-breaking regular season in the National Hockey League, their playoffs come to a close and a crashing halt here in the first round and seven weeks short of the only goal that mattered to them. And summing up the emotional feelings of the Bruins, Jack Edwards on Bruins TV had this to say. Verhage wins the series for Florida, and this joyride ends in a Hindenburg-like ending. The Bruins are the second record-setting team in a row to drop the series in the first round. The long-standing rivalry of the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils came to a head in game number seven at the Prudential Center in Newark. Matt Lachlan is on Devils Radio calling the end of the matchup. 15 seconds remaining. Mikola with the blast. That's off the glass. Sharon Govich clears. 
One last chance, perhaps, for the Rangers. Mikola drives it in. That will do it. It's on to Raleigh for the Devils as Akira Schmidt has shut out the New York Rangers 4 to nothing. While there's a lot of animosity between the Devils and the Rangers over so many years of playoff matchups and a couple of Game 7s, there's also a lot of respect between the two organizations. Listen to Kenny Albert and Dave Maloney call the end on Rangers Radio. Rangers had won their last three Game 7s on the road, but not tonight. Down to the final 10 seconds. Devils fans on their feet. Snyder with the puck at center for Mikula. Five seconds, shoots in. To the left of Schmidt, who has his second shutout in the last three games. Devils win the game 4-0, the series, four games to three. Well, that's just uh, congratulations to the New Jersey Devils. You know, again, it takes them one step beyond what anyone, I think, thought in their wild imagination was going to happen coming into this season. But it hasn't been a fluke, folks. This is a good hockey team. They're well-coached. They play, they, they play fast, they offend fast, and they defend faster. And that's the thing that impressed me in this series. You know, when you see them seven times over the course of two weeks or whatever it is, 15 days, I think you can't help but be impressed at just how quick. And that empty net goal to me will be the, the capping signature thing of this series. Our third Game 7 was in Denver, Colorado. And how about the Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche falling to the expansion Seattle Kraken in their very first playoff series? Here's how the agony of defeat sounded with Connor McGahee calling the action for Colorado. Ranton and Dixon wins it anyhow. Kale McCarr at the deep slot. Over for Evan Rodriguez. Shot whistles wide. McKinnon has the rebound. To the corner. JT Comper, 34 seconds to go. Ranton and trying to pick it loose. Now 30 seconds. Everybody almost in the corner. Avalanche pry it free to the point. Kale McCarr has it for Nathan McKinnon. Steps aside one. McKinnon on his forehand. Back against the wall. McKinnon stick handling. Saucers it for Kale McCarr out of his reach. Tapped by Bjorkstrand. Knocked aside. 13 seconds to go. Rodriguez has to turn up ice. Rodriguez across the blue line. Shuttles it for Arturi and Down to the corner. Five seconds left. Near side McKinnon. Can't get the puck toward the net for McKinnon. Shot is deflected wide, and that is it. The Seattle Kraken have won game seven and have won their first playoff series, a series where all the breaks went the way of Seattle, and the Avalanche will not be able to defend their cup title. Final score in game seven, it's the Kraken two, and the Avalanche won. We continue now with the Stanley Cup Playoff Report on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network. We go to Dallas, where the San Jose Sharks divisional rivals, the Seattle Kraken, move on to their very second playoff series. Just a couple of days ago, there was lots of celebration in Denver. Ten seconds left here in Game 7. This is Rodriguez in to the far side. Lekkinen in behind the net. Six seconds to go. All the way back to the near side. McKinnon hit off the puck. Thrown out in front. There's the horn. A team that defied the haters. They rolled their eyes at the naysayers. And now they have defeated the defending Stanley Cup champions in seven games. 
the next wave is crashing into the next round. The Seattle Kraken are heading to the Western Conference semis. On a beautifully sunny day outside in Denver with temperatures rising throughout the day, the intensity rose throughout the night and the Kraken plowed their way through the avalanche inside a ball arena and make history in the process. Oh, the Kraken survive round one, take down last year's champions and say, how do you do to round two? If you ain't on board with this team, you ain't Kraken. Great call of game seven. That's how it all ended. And joining us right now is the play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken, Everett Fitzhugh, who is in Dallas uh, getting prepared for yet another playoff game. And Everett, this is bringing back all sorts of memories for me back to 1994 when the San Jose Sharks, the uh, most unlikely team to face uh, a monster in the Detroit Red Wings, ended up winning on the road in game seven and moved on uh, to Toronto and took them to seven games. You obviously would like to go a little bit farther than that, but uh, just give us a general feeling of what's going on inside the locker room and, and with the Kraken organization. Yeah, no. First, I actually want to let you know that I vaguely remember that Red Wing Sharp series. I grew up in Detroit. I would have been six or seven at the time. I vaguely remember that uh, that series. But but no, in inside the locker room now for this Kraken team, it is very loose. It is very light. And I think a lot of players, every player in this locker room understands there really is nothing to lose uh, with this playoff run. This is the team that not a lot of folks expected them to be 500, let alone a playoff team, let alone taking out the defending Stanley Cup champions. So the guys understand the, the piece of history that they were just a part of. And I think when you have seven players in that locker room who have won Stanley Cups, you've got three players in that locker room who have won multiple Cups, another handful of guys who've gone to finals um, and have made deep playoff runs. Even though this is the first time this group has done it together, it's still uh, a lot of veteran leadership and a lot of Stanley Cup experience, a lot of playoff experience in that locker room. Well, that's right. And that's exactly what happened to the Sharks in 1994. Their captain was Bob Airy. He had two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I always yeah. remember, and we always still tell this story, uh, just before the first playoff series started, he wrote down those 16 bits of advice down on a napkin just before game number one are things that we still look back at today. And it's kind of funny because one of the things that he wrote was, you're never out of a game. And he wrote down, there might be a five-minute major penalty at some point. And wouldn't you know, in 2019, the Sharks had that exact thing happen against the Vegas Golden Knights when that, uh, yeah. that fabled Pavelski penalty got uh, called against uh, against Cody Eakin. So anything can happen. That's the one thing we know. But uh, it had to be awfully satisfying for Philip Grubauer to go into Denver and get that win. I think so. And you know what? He kind of downplayed it a little bit earlier in the series. I asked him before game one uh, during one of the practices. I said, hey, like, what, what does this mean for you going up against your former team? And he was very, very eloquent in his response. He goes, yeah, you know, I've been gone for a handful of years. There's no real rivalry there. I was talking to Mark Rycroft, um, the color analyst from the television side in Denver, and he goes, um, you know, I remember when Grubauer got that contract and everybody in the locker room was high-fiving him. They were congratulating him on getting paid, getting his big deal. So, you know, there was no real, there's no hatred there. There was no animosity there. But as the series went on, you could tell that Philip Grubauer 
was was getting a little more happy that I'm doing this against my former team. And I think you don't realize how important and I think how how crucial it was for him. You know, you're inside of a building that you spent three years in. You you were a Vesna finalist in that building. You know the angles, you know McKinnon, you know Nachushkin, you know these guys who are, you know, big parts of this team now. Landis Cog obviously wasn't playing, but you know him very well. He was your captain for a number of years. But I think for Philip Grubauer, more than just beating your former team, I think he now has solidified that answer of who's the number one goaltender for the Seattle Kraken. Obviously, Martin Jones came in, former San Jose Shark. Martin Jones came in, um, and and you know he got 27 wins this season in, in a year in which Grubauer was struggling through injuries earlier in the year. There was a little bit of doubt creeping in from the fan base and, and things like that. But this was the series that I think was kind of his coming out part. And no, this is this is the goaltender that we uh, knew we were getting. Uh, when we signed him after the expansion draft going into our first year. So for Philip Grubauer, it was very satisfying for him to get that win, to get that series win, to help cement uh, another piece of history for Seattle. But I think more importantly, for the entire organization, for the entire team to rally around Grubauer and, and the love and the support that he got every single game, win or lose uh, for Seattle from this team. Remember, you need two goaltenders in the Stanley Cup yeah. playoffs, too. And let's not forget about what Martin Jones did. We we know oh. with the San Jose Sharks what he did for that team. Uh, this team here in San Jose, he was uh, critical to a Game 6 win in Vegas in double overtime. Game 7 and all that magic never would have happened without that. And Marc-Andre no. Fleury, who uh, won a Stanley Cup uh, for Pittsburgh a handful of times, didn't play in the Stanley Cup final against the Sharks in 2016, yet he was pretty critical down the stretch in the postseason, too. So you, the, the days of Martin Jones uh, making a contribution are probably not over for Seattle before this is, is ended. Oh, absolutely not. And, and listen, Martin Jones, one thing I've noticed about him He's probably one of, if not the most technically sound goaltenders that I've witnessed um, in this league. Now, I know I've only been here for about 15 minutes, but of all the goaltenders that you see, um, he, he nothing really phases him. You know, he makes the, the difficult save look easy and he makes the easy save look easier. And, and if I had to pick an unsung hero for this Kraken roster, it is without a doubt Martin Jones. Because without Martin Jones, Seattle's not sitting here in Dallas in round two. Without Martin Jones, the Kraken might be talking about the Connor Bedard sweepstakes and where they would place in the draft. So the the opportunity that he was presented with earlier this season through unfortunate circumstances, Philip Grubauer gets injured, the Kraken needed a goaltender to come in. Martin Jones was signed for a reason out of Philadelphia um, this past summer. He really was, I think, one of the top two or three reasons why Seattle is in this position that they're in right now. And I'm with you. Philip Grubauer looks really good so far this postseason. But, hey, the Kraken minimally have got four more games to go, hopefully more than four. Um, and I'm, I'm with you. I think that Martin Jones, we're not done with Martin Jones. We've not seen the last of Martin Jones for sure. Since we're on the topic of ex-Sharks, uh, you have a handful of them inside that dressing room. Jacob Magnus played uh, yeah. a handful of games for you, not in the playoffs yet. And, of course, Ryan Donato has been part of the team since the very beginning. Uh, give yeah. us a thought on, on how the ex-Sharks are doing. Yeah, Ryan Donato, I'll start with him. He, he has really shown his versatility for Seattle. I mean, he was a guy that primarily has been a winger for the Kraken. 
Uh, Dave Haxtall decided to try him out at center last year. Didn't look half bad. Now this season, he's gotten more reps at center. He's actually, when Morgan Geeky slid up to that uh, right wing spot on the second line, Ryan Donato is now your full-time fourth line center in between Brandon Tanev and Daniel Strong. He has been one of the most consistent face-off guys for the Seattle Kraken this postseason. So um, Ryan Donato has shown some versatility. He has a penchant for scoring goals in bunches. Now, the offense for him has dried up over the past, you know, six weeks of the regular season now into the playoffs but there was a time when Ryan Donato was scoring six points in an eight game stretch six points in a 10 game stretch for Seattle it seems like all of his goals and all of his points come in bunches waiting for him to get um, that offensive touch back to his game here in the postseason but he's been given the ice time and has been making uh, things happen away from the puck with his ice time for Jacob Megna unfortunately he's not played a whole lot for Seattle but what I think he has done is he has shown up every day with a willingness, a wantingness, and a readiness to work and to be called upon when, uh, when or be ready when called upon. And I know that sounds very cliche, but I never see him without a smile on his face. Uh, you know, he and Kale Fleury uh, are kind of the de facto black aces uh, on the defensive core for the Seattle Kraken team. And down the stretch, the last week of the season, those two got um, a couple of games together. And I tell you what, because they work together every day after practice, Megna and flurry they looked about as good as any defensive pair that the Kraken have in those last handful of games for the Seattle Kraken so you know Megna's ready to go when called upon the games that um, he has played for Seattle that reach of his that size of his has definitely been something that's noticeable and something the Kraken don't have a whole lot of Everett Fitzhugh is the voice of the Seattle Kraken. We're talking to him as he joins us from Dallas. The Stars and the Kraken will take on each other in the Stanley Cup playoffs round number two. I, I want to talk about some other factors for this Kraken team because you guys lost Jared McCann. He's a 40-goal scorer. And everybody yeah. said, well, he's the big goal scorer. Seattle's not going to figure a way to get by the defending Stanley Cup champions. And they did. And part of that is because you guys really didn't have a first line necessarily. You had like three second lines, so to speak, from an NHL perspective. You got a veteran like Yanni Gord, who has had a lot of Stanley Cup playoff experience in Tampa, leading the way in scoring. But you've got uh, some other guys, too. I want to talk about Oliver Bjorkstrand, because he's somebody that doesn't have a ton of Stanley Cup playoff experience, but you go back and you see what he did in the Calder Cup playoffs, and yeah. that gives you an idea that he's comfortable with this situation and can deal with some of the adversity. Again, adversity is something that you guys have had to deal with all season long. Weave those two things together for me, the idea that you, you have the ability to withstand the loss of a 40-goal score because of the style of hockey you play, and also guys like, uh, Bjorkstrand, who can rise to the occasion because they're prepared for this this challenge. I'll start with Bjorkstrand because we just were talking about him yesterday. He is a player who scored in his first game with Seattle, the season opener down in Anaheim. And, and we were saying, all right, here we go. 40 goals off the stick of 22. We're looking forward to it. He really, you know, burst onto the scene for Seattle. He ran into a bit of a, of a rough patch, though. The offense wasn't there. I think if there was an award for most post hit uh, in the NHL, Bjorkstrand would probably be the clubhouse leader there. And even in 
game uh, seven, he should have had about five goals in that game. He hit the post, hit the crossbar, and then he swept a puck right through the crease that missed by about six inches um, in past Georgiev. So uh, Strand is a player that doesn't need a whole lot of room to shoot, doesn't need a whole lot of space to shoot. It's a very quick snapshot that you don't realize is as lethal as it is. And for him, it's really been about perseverance. You're right. He goes to Columbus. He does well for the big club in Columbus. He wins a Calder Cup in Cleveland. Um, and, and he's had success wherever he's gone. And now I think he's being able to be featured in, in a prominent role. But now that third line for Seattle, Tolvanen, Gord, and Bjorkstrand, that has been the catalyst line for Seattle for probably the last eight to ten weeks. Um there is really not a whole lot they can't do, whether it's bringing the intensity, the physicality. They work hard. They work harder than any trio, I think, in the NHL in terms of just pressuring guys. One of the things that Seattle is known for is that relentless forecheck and that really good, strong transition game through the neutral zone. And those three players, led by Bjorkstrand and Yanni Gord, who you mentioned, um, are a big piece of that. So I think for Seattle, the the, the rookies are coming. The, the future is coming, but they're also living in the now, right now, uh, with the guys they do have. Well, speaking of the now, Everett, let's talk about the series the Seattle Kraken are in. Uh, obviously the Dallas stars have some top players. We'll see if Joe Pavelski plays the full series or not. Rope yeah. hints is having a great postseason. Jason Robertson, a great goal scorer, Tyler Sagan, a veteran that some people forget about, but they better not. Uh, so this is a loaded, <laughs> this is a loaded team. Uh, you know, you had McCarr in Colorado and McKinnon, you got those guys and you've also got a uh, Haskinen on the point for the Dallas stars. I know you're not intimidated by because of everything else you've been through, but why don't you yeah. handicap the series for us? Yeah, you know, I, I think for, for everything that Colorado has and everything that Colorado offers, just doing my, my prep the last day and a half and, and going over some notes, it seems like Dallas does all of that just a little bit better. They have the star power with Robertson, Hintz, Pavelski. They also have the depth that Seattle has, right? There wasn't really any depth usage in the playoffs for the Avalanche. Lars Eller, JT Comfer were pretty much rendered effectless uh, for them. Whereas for the for the Dallas Stars, they have that, that, that depth up and down their lineup. I also think Dallas, unlike Colorado, they're a little bit more physical. Seattle Kraken are not a physical team. They got physical in that series, a, a franchise high 52 hits in game five um, in Colorado for, to wrap up uh, that series in game five. But for, for Dallas, they have the offense, they have the size, they have the physicality. It's going to be a lot harder of a series physically. It's going to be a lot heavier of a series physically. But I think for Seattle, they've shown all year skill for skill, speed for speed, they can skate with the best teams in the National Hockey League. I mean, again, that relentless forecheck, that clogging up of the neutral zone, maybe not as effective as the LA Kings 1-3-1 coming through neutral, but still um, the Kraken know how to clog up that space and take away that space. Seattle disrupted more zone entries from uh, McKinnon and Rantanen in series number one. They had two goals called back on offside plays in which the zone entries were clean. That comes from that hard work through the neutral zone that's offered by the Seattle Kraken. So I, I, it's going to be a hard series. I, I'm going to go back to 
to my bread and butter. I called Kraken in seven um, back in Colorado. I think Seattle can win this game, this series in seven games. And what I think is going to be the catalyst here, the key for Seattle, is going to be their depth. There's only one forward in this first round for Seattle, Yanni Gord, who averaged over 20 minutes of ice time per night. The Avalanche had seven. So for the Kraken, if you can keep your players healthy, and rested and not logging a lot of minutes. If you don't have to shorten your bench by taking too many penalties, I think Seattle could come out on top. But I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if this series has three, four games that go to overtime. It wouldn't surprise me if this is a pretty, you know, high scoring four, three, five, four games in this series because both teams know how to score. I got to conclude uh, with a story for you, Everett, and I, I want okay. you to listen to this story and I want you to uh, transcribe it and uh, extrapolate it into Seattle Kraken's future because I'm looking forward to game three of this series because the San Jose Sharks beat the Detroit Red Wings, which was one of the greatest upsets in history uh, back in 1994 in game seven. They won on the road at Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. Then they took a one game to nothing lead over Toronto in round two came back all even going into game three at SAP center it was called San Jose arena back in those days. Now think about this. The Sharks fans hadn't had a chance to get together to celebrate that amazing victory over the Red Wings until game three. And I will yeah. never forget the sound of the building when the Sharks came out for warmups in game three against Toronto. And I'm I'm thinking that the, the community in Seattle is going to respond in a similar way to what the Kraken have done so far, regardless of what happens in games one and two. Yeah, game three for Seattle back in the first round was the lo loudest sporting event I had ever been a part of until Jordan Eberle won the game in overtime in game four. I feel like this community, Seattle, the, the, the PNW as a whole, have been front and center with their support and their love for this team since day one. We were we were NHL Seattle. We weren't even the Kraken. And this community was already a buzz talking about the National Hockey League coming to Seattle. And I'm very much looking forward to game three in our building uh, against the Dallas Stars for round two. Because listen, no one gave this this team a chance. This was a team that, you know, even I'm guilty of if if, if I thought a good year for the Kraken coming in day one of training camp. I thought a good year for Seattle would be hovering at or around 500. Um, you know, you're within eight points of a, of a playoff spot. You're probably not going to make up that deficit, but Hey, you're playing meaningful games into March. Um, that was going to be a successful season for me after, after last year, what this team was, was able to do here in year two, now to be able to reward the fans with not only a playoff berth, but now a trip to the second round. I, my phone has been blowing up. My Twitter messages have been blowing up um, in the past couple of weeks. Just fans who were so happy and so excited and so grateful for the opportunity to experience the NHL and playoff hockey. And listen, Dan, you and I, 
lifelong hockey fans, you know, you've been able to, to be present for so many historical moments in San Jose Sharks history. I grew up in Detroit, like I said, hockey town. I remember those late 90s cup runs for the Red Wings. I remember uh, the president's trophy winning teams and, and, and the battles with the Avalanche and the Penguins in the 2000s when I was in college. I remember the passion that the city had and just how much fun it was being in the city of Detroit when the Pistons or when the, the, the Red Wings rather and the Pistons for that matter um, were, were winning championships and winning games. And I'm so excited to be able to see that in Seattle, you know, into May. We're playing hockey into May. And no matter where you're from, everyone wants to talk about Canada, Minnesota being hockey weather. No, 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 no. This is hockey weather. May is hockey weather. And I'm so excited. Uh, we're excited for you. And of course, it's great for the hockey business on the West Coast and want to yeah. wish you the best of luck in the series. And just remember, these are the days that you're going to remember. So enjoy it. Thanks, Dan. This has been a pleasure, man. And I'm looking forward to I'm hoping the Kraken Sharks get a rivalry going here soon. I'm looking forward to seeing that building in the playoffs. I, I saw it on TV. I remember the cup run uh, against Pittsburgh, watching it on TV as as a kid, as a fan growing up. I've always loved the shark head intro uh, the sharks have, and I would love to see that in playoffs. So I'm hoping that this rebuild for you guys doesn't take too long. And also real quick, I want to say growing up as a hockey fan, um, I got into hockey because I saw the Edmonton Oilers play a game. And at the time they had three black players on their team. One of them being your GM, Mike Greer, who as a kid, him, Anson Carter and George, the rock were my three favorite hockey players growing up. So when I saw Mike Greer last year, get that uh, the, the GM job for the San Jose Sharks, we were having a, a draft party in Seattle. And um, I remember when he walked up to the, to the podium and made his first selection as the first black GM in NHL history, uh, I shed a little bit of a tear because it meant so much to me to see that my favorite player as a kid growing up now, making a historical selection uh, for, for people of color in this sport. So you guys are, are an amazing organization. I love what you guys do, and I'm looking forward to much more San Jose Sharks success uh, in the years to come. Well, we're really proud of everything you've done in the industry as well to take steps forward in that regard, Everett, and you do a great job. And uh, thanks a lot for the kind words. And we look forward to a lot of playoff series. But in the meantime, go have fun with this one. Thanks a lot. Looking, looking forward to it. Thanks. It's going to be an exciting series between Seattle and Dallas, but all of the series are going to be great. For the first time in four years, the President's Trophy winning team and the most recent Stanley Cup finalists will be absent from round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. The last time that occurred was in 2019 when Washington, Vegas, and Tampa Bay all fell in the first round. Stay tuned for all of it. I'm Dan Rusinowski. That's the show today. You've been listening to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network.